Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. I have always been very skeptical of anyone who tries to teach me something that they have not experienced. Take, for instance, world geography. I was that student that would sit in the classroom and listen to the teacher teach about Rome, knowing that that teacher had never been to Rome. And I was that skeptical student that would sit back there going, you have no idea. In my mind, I wouldn't say it out loud, but I would say in my mind, you have no idea. You have never been there. I can read from the same textbook that you read from and have the same experience. Imagine how much more impactful it was on my life when I realized that my, my Old Testament and New Testament survey teacher had actually been to the Holy Land. Man, I was sitting up straight in my chair because I wanted to hear what that person had to say about that. I remember one time talking with a travel agent that tried to convince me to buy certain excursions while we were on a cruise. Anyone ever felt that pressure before? And, and, and she was trying to talk me uh, into buying these excursions. She told me about one. Uh, she said, you know, you can go zip lining through the jungle. And this sounded interesting, you know, and, or, or you could swim with stingrays. Or you can go horseback riding on the beach. And so I wanted a, a professional's opinion. And so I told her, I said, be honest with me. Which one of these have you enjoyed the most? And she informed me at that moment that she had never been on any of those excursions. To which, in my mind at that moment, it disqualified her to even try and sell me on those things. Or if I'm at a pastor's conference and there's a... There's a speaker that gets up and tries to tell me about church growth and they have never pastored a church before. I immediately check out in my mind because if you haven't been there and you haven't done that, you have nothing to say about the current circumstance that I am in. I tell you all that because the danger of teaching this series is that I have never been to heaven and I have never experienced the second coming of Christ. And for that fact, nobody has experienced the second coming of Christ yet. And so that all I have to go on is this book right here. That's it. It's all I have is the information that is provided in this book and the conviction that God puts upon my heart and that's all that I have. But, but, but that's all that I need because you see church, this book is different than other books. And when some of you start to realize that, it's going to open up a whole new world of possibilities for you when you realize that this book is not just a book. This book is not a mere textbook written from experience and, and knowledge. This, this Bible is more than just words printed on paper and bound in leather. This Bible is not just an app on your phone that makes it convenient when you want to read. The Bible, no matter how it's printed, no matter how it's displayed, the Bible from beginning all the way to the end is Jesus Christ. And that's what you need to realize. From beginning to end, it is Jesus Christ. And I'll prove it to you. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made and so it tells us in the beginning and it capitalizes the word word in the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the Word of God is living and active. And we know that to be true because Jesus Christ is living and active. And so therefore, God's Word is living and active. And this leads me to know that the Bible, the Holy Word of God, Jesus in black, white, and sometimes red, this has the ability to open our eyes to the kingdom of God. And so church, as we explore the coming of Christ and the, the life thereafter, please know that this source is extremely accurate. That we can base all of our knowledge and everything that we teach, we can base it on the scriptures provided here. The very architect who created heaven didn't just inspire these sacred writings. He is these sacred writings. And today I want to explore the second coming of Christ. Next week we will take a detailed look at the life thereafter. And then we're going to have this one week hiatus for Father's Day because I made a promise to the the women in the room that I would go after the men on Father's Day. I I think I did something like that. And then then the, the next week we will end this series with a heartbreaking look at the alternative. So bear with me. We're on a journey. The next few weeks, we're on a journey. And it's my job to teach you about something that I've never experienced, but something that I'm extremely confident in because of my source. And so let's go on this road together. Let's open up God's Word and let's see what it, what it teaches us. Do you remember playing hide-and-seek as a child? Some of you are still children at heart, and you have probably playing it yesterday. You know, it's this classic children's game where one person has to go and close their eyes and count to a predetermined number while everybody else goes and hides. And if you count too fast, you know, if you're, if you're going to 50 and you're like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, they'll make you stop. And they want you to count out loud so that they can hear where you're at in your counting. And they'll make you slow it down so that you have to go one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, until you get to 50. And the object of the game is go and hide. Find a good hiding spot so that the person who is it, the counter, is also known as the person who is it, That person has to come and seek you. It's called hide and seek for a reason. So you're hiding. That person comes to seek you. And if you can run back and tag base before they find you, then you are safe. But if you're not, if you are caught, then you are it the next round. It's a great game. It's a fun game. Some of you are thinking right now, I want to go home and play this game today. The signal to start this game is when the counter or the person who is it finishes counting and they say these words out loud, ready or not. Oh, you've played the game before. Okay, good, good. Ready or not, here I come. And when you heard those words, it did not matter if you were ready or not because it, the counter, it was coming after you. Whether you found a good hiding spot or not, They were coming to get you. Whether you were ready or not, here they come. 
One of the greatest mysteries of the Christian faith is when will Christ return? It's one of the greatest mysteries. And there's been many people who have tried to figure this thing out. People much smarter than I am. Because Jesus promised that he would be coming back. He, he made that promise to us. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking. He says, let, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's his words. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Many people have tried to predict when he's coming back. William Miller, who was a well-intentioned and a very godly man, said that the Lord was coming back on October 22nd, 1844. Let's just say that October 23rd, 1844, was a very awkward day for this man. Hal Lindsey wrote a book. I actually have this book. Uh, it's a best-selling book called The Late Great Planet Earth, in which he predicted that Jesus would come in 1988. And thousands of people were, were excited about this, but it didn't happen. We know that because we're still here. The church is still here. And, and today, this guy still has a TV program where he explains Bible prophecy. A guy by the name of Edgar C. Wisenot sold 4.5 million copies of a book that he called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Trinity Broadcasting Network interrupted their, their regular scheduled programming to tell people how to get ready for the rapture. The next day after it didn't happen, they went right back to their normal programming as usual. Many people believed, even some of you, that the Mayan calendar predicted the end of the world as we knew it. And the big day was December the 21st, 2012. That was supposed to be the day that the world ended or something apocalyptic happened or, or, or that was the day that Christ would come back for the church. Something big was supposed to happen on that day. But three and a half years later, we're still here. And this should not shock us. Matter of fact, if you want Christ to return, tell everybody to quit predicting days because the more they predict, I believe the more they postpone it happening because in Mark 12 and 32, Jesus said, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. He said, I don't even know when I'm coming back. I'm just waiting for the marching orders. As soon as he tells me to go, I'm gone. Luke 12 and 40, he said, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so if you're at work and somebody says, you know what? I think Jesus is coming back next year. Just tell them, say, shut up. <laughs> shut up. The more you talk about it, the more you postpone it. No one knows what day that he is coming on. But we do know what kind of day that he is coming on. I want you to turn with me to Luke 17. Because in Luke 17, Jesus paints the picture of what that particular day is going to look like. He tells us in detail what that day will look like. And, and so if you are anticipating the coming of Christ, if you want to know when he's coming back to receive his church, 
then you can, can, can learn from the words of Christ right here on when he's coming back to receive his bride, when he's coming back to receive us. Now, for some of you in the room, maybe some of you who are unchurched, you, you don't often go to church or you've never been to church, let me explain something to you. We as Christians, we believe that at the moment we gave our hearts to Christ, that, that our name is entered into the, the book of life. We believe that, the Lamb's book of life. And at that moment, we are secured in eternity to live with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we are believing, we're holding out for the return of Christ to receive his church. And so if you want to know why I'm interested on in what that day looks like, it's because that's a day when sorrow ends. That's a day when my life is not going to, to, to have to, to fall victim to the standards of this world any longer. It's the day when sickness will be abolished. It's the day when life really changes for us. It's the day that we long for and we hope for as Christians. Luke 17, listen to the words of Christ in verse 22. And he said to his disciples... The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Now we go down to verse 34, and Jesus says, I tell you, and that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Jesus said that on the day of his return, it will be like any other normal day. If you want to know what that day is going to look like, it's going to be just like any other normal day. People will be eating, people will be drinking, people will be getting married, buying, selling, planting, building. It, it's a day much like today. As a matter of fact, think about this with me just for a moment. Let this really be an awakening moment. It could be today. I might not have the time to finish this sermon. And when he steps out and he calls us home, it could be in this hour right now. Then Jesus gave us some very alarming stats. As he explained this day, he, he gave us some statistics for who he will return for. If we follow his rules there and, and follow this, the numbers that he gave, basically 50% of the people will not make it. He says two people will be in bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women are working out in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. The King James Version says two men will be out in the field. One will be taken and the other left. And so basically Jesus is saying 50% of the human beings on the planet will not be in that number. This is tough for us because we cannot be naive enough to believe that all dogs go to heaven, right? 
not everybody makes it. And I don't want you to think for one moment that God is, is happy with that, that God is pleased with that. As a matter of fact, before we finish this, I will show you that God is doing everything that he possibly can to make sure that, that, that none should perish. He is trying his best to delay the coming of Christ because it's not his will that any of us should perish, but that we should have everlasting life. As nice as it sounds, everybody's not going to make it. Hebrews 9 and 28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin. He already did that. So it's not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That is so key right there, church. He's coming to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Have you ever eagerly waited for something? I recently ordered a new top for my Jeep. It was like Christmas for me. You remember what it was like as a child for Christmas and you're waiting on the big day? You know, you're waiting and, and the night before, man, that anticipation is building and, and you just, you've got these feelings, man, and you just can't hardly stand it. And you're saying, can I just open one present? That's how I felt. I ordered my new best stop top for my Jeep and man, I was excited. It's fast back. It's nice top, man. I was ready to get this thing, get it put on my Jeep. You know, summer's here, man. I am ready to live it up with this new top on my Jeep and I couldn't wait. And so they sent me a tracking number from the company I ordered it from. And every day, like four times a day, I'm checking the tracking number. I know everywhere that thing stopped. I know that they kept it for an extra day in Charlotte and somebody still needs to explain why it stayed in Charlotte for so long because I was eagerly anticipating the arrival of this, this Jeep top. I wanted this Jeep top. And then that day that I pulled up at the house and there it was sitting in front of my front door. Which I got angry for a second. I was like, what if somebody saw it sitting there and they steal my Jeep top, you know? But that's beside the point. It's another story for another day. Eagerly anticipating, waiting, watching for the return of Christ. Because there was, a, there was a time when the church anticipated the coming of Christ. I don't feel that same urgency anymore. And that's why I wanted the praise team to learn that song. Because I want us to develop that because he said that he is coming to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I like what Paul said to the church in, in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. You see, that's where some of us have messed up right there. We think we're citizens here on this planet, and we are doing everything we can to adapt to citizenship here on this planet. But Paul said, no, as Christians, our citizenship is not here on this planet. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Paul said, we are eagerly awaiting that Savior. The church used to eagerly await. We used to look with anticipation for that day because we used to sing songs like this one that was written in 1932 that said, and if you know it, sing along with me. Some glad morning when this life is over. Uh, I don't even know what or means. It's, it wasn't over when this life is over. It was O apostrophe E-R. So it was some glad morning when this life is over. I'll 
fly away to a home, to a home on God's celestial shore. Ah. How many of you remember singing that song? Yeah. Or how about this one that was written in 1898? Onward to the prize before us, soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. We shall tread the streets of gold. That's right. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we, there it is, yeah, see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Anybody remember singing that one? When I first started, you didn't. Okay. And, and finally, what about this one that was originally written as a poem in 1891, and then later it was published as a song in 1954, and, and it went like this. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation, and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then i shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim my god how great thou art you know that one and the church used to anticipate that Sometimes their theology was way off. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I go back and, and listen to some of the hymns and read some of the lyrics, and, and the, the theology is, is not always that great. But man, the hunger, the desire, because Jesus didn't say, I'm coming back for all of those that have perfect theology. He said, I'm coming back for those that are eagerly awaiting my arrival. When these songs were written, people were facing desperate times like the Great Depression or the turn of the century. And they truly and sincerely, they longed for the return of Christ because they needed Jesus to come back and take them to heaven because life was hard for them. And so this was an answer. If life is tough, this was the answer. This is what they needed for their lives. And the dilemma for us now, church, is that when life is good, we don't eagerly anticipate the return of Christ. When life is good, we don't eagerly anticipate the return of Christ. For, for the most part, most of us in the room, we enjoy life and we want to continue enjoying life. We want to continue growing older. All of the students and the young adults in the room, you want to get married, or if you're married, you want to have children. And for some of you young families in the room, I know you want to watch, you want the pleasure of watching your children grow up, but then they reach that age and you're like, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, because I'm about to kill this kid, you know. <laughs> the older that my children get and the shape that this world is in, and the fact that people that I love are getting old and nearing death, it makes me cry out. Even so, come Lord Jesus. At 41 years old, am I 41? At 41 years old, <laughs> I have never looked forward to seeing the return of Christ any more than I do right now. We've got to develop a hunger 
and a desire for the return of Christ. I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor, I've been hearing this my whole life. I've been hearing that Christ is coming my whole life, and it just seems like it's taking some time. 2 Peter chapter 3, he gives us a glimpse of why it's taking this, this much time. Starting with verse 8, it says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. He goes on in verse 14, and he says, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Man, you hear it right there. The cry of God is, I'm just holding on. I just want more people to be saved. And and though I don't want to hold Jesus exactly to his stats there, but if it is around 50%, you need to know that about 33% of the world's population right now claim to be Christians. All it's going to take is one great revival and we'll bump up to that 50% mark. And when that happens, I fully expect the return of Christ. But what if, what if he was just speaking in a figurative type way and he's just saying, listen, there's going to be one person here and one person there. One may be taken and the other left. What if it's not even a 50% mark? All I'm saying is we have to be ready for that moment. And the only reason he hasn't come back yet is because God's heart is breaking for humanity and he's trying his best to give us as much time as possible for people to be saved. Sir Ernest Shackleton is known as one of the greatest polar explorers of the early 1900s. During one of his three expeditions to the Antarctic, he and his crew members were shipwrecked on an island called Elephant Island, covered in ice. Shackleton realized that there was no chance of them being rescued. And so he, along with five others, got into a lifeboat and decided they would try and find help for his men that were stranded on this ice-capped island. He found help, and when they started heading back towards this island, the season that they were in, the the sea, the, the ocean around that area was completely frozen. They could not drive a ship to reach these men. Three different times they tried that, could not reach them. But finally on the fourth time, they found a narrow passageway through the ice. On August the 30th, 1916, Four and a half months later, he found the crewmen waiting for him. And to his surprise, their supplies were packed 
and they were ready to board. Soon all 28 original crew members were on their way back to England. Shackleton asked his men, how did you know I'd be coming back today? You were ready. You were packed and ready. How did you know it would be today? And his men told him, they said, we did not know when you would return. We just knew that you would return. And so every morning, his second command, a man by the name of Frank Wilde, he rolled up his bag after he would wake up every morning. He would pack up his gear and he would tell the crew to do the same thing. And he would always say to them every morning, get your things ready, boys. The boss may be coming today. Church, we have to eagerly anticipate the coming of Christ. And my word to all of us today is, get your stuff ready. Because today might be the day the boss is coming back. It could be within this hour. And I know that some of you have mixed feelings about that. But for me, I'm ready. I'm ready. More than ever, I'm ready. Even so. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.